Hi everyone, this episode of The First 40 Miles is all about women and backpacking. So, guys, you're welcome to listen in. Women, this episode is for you, and Heather has got lots of great information packed into it. Welcome to episode 25 of The First 40 Miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, it's our Women and Backpacking episode. We'll share the top five questions about women and backpacking and what to do to prepare for a successful trip. On the Summit Gear Review, we'll teach you the Mayan name for bonefish and why it matters. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll share a $1 solution to the most common female complaint on the trail. Then we'll answer a question that applies to folks with really long hair. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Today we are focusing on women and backpacking, and all because of the amazing innovation and education that's happened over the last 30 years that benefits women on the trail. Backpacking really is an activity that men and women both can participate in. Seems like you see a lot more men on the trail than women. Is there a reason for that? Or what kind of data do you have on who's on the trail? Well, looking at the long trails and looking at through hikes, so on the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, it's a two-to-one ratio, men to women. So backpacking is clearly a sport where there's a lot more men in the sport. And yet, I don't think there's a good reason for that, because I don't think that men have any kind of natural physical advantage in backpacking like they do in other sports. So take basketball or baseball or football, or you know, all these sports where just because of the physical differences in our bodies, men have a natural advantage. Well, then take backpacking. So men tend to have more upper body strength. Well, upper body strength is not really important for backpacking. In fact, if you're doing it right, you're carrying most of the weight on your hips. And women have an advantage there. And people that have looked at injury rates and then also looked at endurance and things like that, they've discovered that men have no advantage over women when it comes to long-distance walking and that there's no difference in injury rates for thru-hikers between men and women. Men really don't have that natural physical advantage on the trail. Backpacking is one of those things that men and women can do side by side and be equals. It's just that there's some concerns that women may have that may keep them from backpacking or may make them hesitate to get out there in the, uh, into the wild. Well, we'll definitely address some of those concerns today and help our women listeners to feel armed and ready to get out on the trail and have a really great experience also. Well, ironically, the very first backpacking trip I ever went on was a trip called The Manly Man, and it's put together by one of our friends, and he invites his friends along, and one of the friends that he brought along invited his wife last year, or two years ago, I guess, and she raved about it, loved it, had a great time. It was a great physical challenge for her, and I think it was her first toe dip into backpacking also, so she was really learning a lot on the trip. And she decided to go again last September and 
I was invited to go as well. And she also brought her daughter. So we kind of turned things upside down on this manly man trip and uh, really had a great time. In fact, both of these women were the first ones into camp every night. They were just amazing troopers, really great attitude, had a really enjoyable backpacking experience. So we had five men and three women uh, on the trip. You know, in some ways, I guess on that trip, I did feel like I had something to prove. The longer I was on the trail, the less I felt like I needed to prove something because I felt like I wasn't weaker on that trip. Like I didn't have anything to prove, even though I went into the trip feeling like I really needed to prove myself. But really on a backpacking trip, everyone becomes equal and you really are just cheering each other on and you're happy with the success of the accomplishments that you experience as a group and individually and it's really a leveling experience. I agree with you. It really was a leveling experience where we all felt as equals on the trail. There really wasn't, uh, you know, oh, let's, you know, pamper the ladies or anything like that. And at the same time, it also there, I don't think there was any kind of condescension Mm -hmm. from the men either. And in the end, we were all equals on the trail. We were equal in our capabilities, what we could handle. I think we're ready for our top five questions about women and backpacking. The first question that women may have is, is it safe for women to backpack alone? If you're talking about trail safety, then you need to ask the question, is it safe for men to backpack alone? A few weeks ago, as we were camped at Little Bald Hills, and I took off through the dark over to the outhouse, which was a good few hundred yards away from camp, uh, I realized that I would feel strange hiking alone. Sure, I'd be fine probably throughout the day hiking along the trail. And then at night, I think I would just feel kind of lost without someone to be with and that social interaction. But I would also feel a little more at risk. So while many women do choose to backpack alone, and men also, it's not something that I personally would feel comfortable with. And definitely, I wouldn't travel with a weapon just to increase my sense of security, because I really believe a weapon on the trail maybe gives you a false sense of security. And in truth, you're much more likely to run into problems because of trail trauma than from an ill-intentioned person. Yeah, when backpacking, uh, the things that women worry about are a little bit different than the things that men worry about. So women typically tend to have more worries about coming across bad people on the trail uh, than men do. Men tend to worry more about uh, some of the, you know, physical trauma that could happen and accidents that could happen on the trail. But the data that I've looked at shows that the actual rates of those bad things happening are the same for men and for women. Are you talking about trail trauma? Trail trauma, bad people on the trail, whatever it is, an attack by an animal, all those bad things happen at equal rates to men and women, they do happen a little less to people who are hiking in groups than they do to people who are hiking solo. So I guess what I'm saying is, is it safe for women to backpack alone? Comes right back around to, is it safe for men to backpack alone? And the answer is the same for both. Well, if you do want a little bit of extra protection, a little bit of extra support on the trail, I would recommend taking a pair of trekking poles. Those provide you with that extra support They're an extension of your arms. They're an extension or a support to your legs. And they do provide some protection if an animal encounter occurs. 
So if you do want to bring something with you that is a tool, a protective tool, then trekking poles, I think, would be the way to go. Another safe option for women who just want to have that wilderness alone experience is to do a tandem solo hike. And this is a concept that's really based loosely on the relationship that through hikers have with each other along the trail. Many through hikers begin the trail alone and then they form these loosely knit groups where everyone is at a varied pace and there's not really a set meetup time. So if you want to hike alone, find another friend who wants to hike alone as well and do the trek as a tandem solo hike. So if it's a week-long trip, you could set up a time to check in with each other either face-to-face or at a defined location, or even with like a simple signal, like sticks on the trail, where you can kind of know that the other person has passed that point. And then you can have that solo experience that a lot of people just, they want to have. Whether you're a woman or a man, there is a lot of value in safety in traveling as a group. And if you want to have the alone experience, then we recommend tandem solo hiking. I really like the tandem solo hike idea for those who just really want to have that solo experience. But this brings some extra safety as well as some extra camaraderie. So you can spend the day alone, but every once in a while you have an opportunity to to meet up with someone and reconnect and say, hi, hey, we're both doing great, and, and then go on your way. I think that's a great idea. Well, the number two question about women in backpacking is, is backpacking gear for women really different or is it just purple? So this is a question that I actually had when I was getting started because I looked at the packs and I thought every brand of pack offers a women's pack, but it's purple instead of navy blue. (laughs) So my first experience with a pack was trying on Josh's pack. And I did that little five or six mile hike, trying to just kind of see what 30 pounds felt like and see what a pack felt like, kind of see if I could do it. Um, I just went up a road next to our house and it was great. It was comfortable. But then when I went and actually tried on women's packs, it was a huge difference. Just the way that they're cut, the way that they feel on your body, where the weight is distributed was like night and day. Yes, backpacking gear is different for women. It's not just purple. In fact, a lot of manufacturers make gear in other colors too, which is kind of nice now. Women's packs have a shorter torso range. They have smaller carrying capacities in general. Women's shoulder straps are typically narrower and shorter The one that I have is a little more curved. Women's hip belts on packs are shorter and they're slanted differently. And women's packs are generally offered in different colors than men's packs. It's a similar thing with sleeping bags. So women's specific sleeping bags are designed and engineered to fit women better. Uh, Compared to men's bags, this means that they are generally a little bit shorter, which by the way, saves weight. They're more narrow at the shoulders and wider at the hips. And oftentimes they'll have the insulation arranged a little bit differently to provide a little more insulation to the upper body and to the feet. I think about my mom, she grew up in the outdoors, went camping a lot. Uh, This was back in the 50s. And my impression of what was available to her back then was really that women would just go buy small sizes of men's stuff men's clothing, men's packs. I mean, it was all designed only for men. And all the women really had was just the option to buy small men's stuff. 
and make do with it. And so in the last couple of decades, it's really been neat to see manufacturers, like you say, not only changing the color of gear to make it for women, but actually changing the design of the gear so that it fits women. So there's really a lot there's a lot of options out now. They're using research. They're using actual science to create gear that's better for women. Another place where you'll find that backpacking gear is different for women than for men is the clothing, of course. It's just cut differently. So the number three question about women and backpacking is, girls can't just find a tree. So what options are out there that can actually help? There are things called female urination devices, or STPs, which stands for stand to pee. And they make that part of trail life just a little bit easier. So you've probably seen a product called the Go Girl or the Pea Style. I prefer the Pea Style product as opposed to the Go Girl because it's a lot easier to clean. You just shake it out, rinse it off, and you're done. Using the bathroom on the trail is actually kind of a big deal for women, and there's some anxiety that goes along with it. I guess there's the privacy issue, there's the mess issue, there are some things that women have to figure out that men don't necessarily need to figure out. So in overcoming that bathroom anxiety, I really believe that the more you go, the more you know. And the more often you get out into the woods and really the more experiences you have out in the woods, the easier it's going to become. And the first few times, it'll be awkward. But after a while, it'll become a lot easier. And you may find that you don't even need to use a female urination device or a stand-to-pee device. You may just be able to figure it out on your own. The number four question about women and backpacking is, what is the best solution for feminine hygiene products on the trail? So pads and tampons are still an option. However, they have to be packed out. So if you're going to use that option, then there's a product called Mask It, and that's for packing out feminine hygiene products. And it's really great. It makes it a lot less messy in your pack and odor-free. Some women prefer to use shots or pills to modify their monthly cycle. I'm not a real fan of that because I think there's a better option out there. And that option is the menstrual cup. And if this isn't something that you've heard of before, basically it's a silicone cup. There's no waste involved. You don't have to pack anything out. They're lightweight and they're not associated with toxic shock syndrome. So menstrual cups can seem a little bit intimidating. So you're going to want to try it at home for several cycles before you actually take it out on the trail. Definitely bring a backup washable pad with you to use with the cup. So you'll find things like the Diva Cup, the Keeper, the Moon Cup. Um, there's even one called the Lily Cup Compact that, that compresses down, so takes up less space in your pack. These tend to be a little bit pricey, like in the $35 to $40 range. I found a menstrual cup made of medical-grade silicone on AliExpress for just a few dollars. Question number five about women and backpacking. Where can I find like-minded women backpackers who can share stories and give advice? Well, one of the sites that we've recently come across is called snowqueenandscout.com. I used to think Snow Queen and Scout were two trail names of women backpackers, but they're actually cats. 
Kat's owned by Liz, and Liz runs the site, and she has some really great resources and stories on her website. Her goal is to help women who are just beginning, to help them to love backpacking. Snowqueenandscout.com, and the things that you'll find on her site are Backpacking 101, those basics, She also writes about places that she's been, products that she uses, quotes that she loves, and then she has a page for super women where you'll find even more resources and people that you can connect with and uh, learn from them. She also has a link for future trips so you can see what kind of adventures she's planning. Well, Liz's site, Snow Queen and Scout, is great because she's really focused on this idea of helping women do their first backpacking trip. And in fact, she has several stories on her site, including her own, of women sharing their experience of taking their first backpacking trip. So that's really cool. Uh, In addition to Snow Queen and Scout, there are a few others that we follow on Facebook and Twitter. These are some that you might want to take a look at. There's alicehikes.com. There's hikinglady.com, justacoloradogal.com, and tamingthemilemonster.com. Taming the Mile Monster was just started on April 5th by Erica Saunders, so she is just getting going. So check those out. You could also, if you go to our Twitter page, it's the first 40 miles, you can click on the list of accounts that we follow and look through that list. You might find some that you'd like to follow as well. Same thing with our Facebook page. If you go to our Facebook page, you can see a section of other pages that we like, and again, might find some great ones that you would like to uh, like on Facebook as well. Well, we hope we've answered your questions. If you have more questions, go ahead and contact us and let us know what else you're wondering about. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Maccabee skirt. Before our manly man trip that we went on in September, I really wanted to bring something with me on the trail that was feminine. I thought it was important just to kind of, I guess, assert my femininity. And I was really intrigued by the idea of a backpacking skirt. The Maccabee skirt was created by a woman named Carol Lauder. And it all started with a bone fishing trip to the Yucatan and Maccabee is actually the Mayan word for bonefish. So that's how the name came about. But she really wanted something that she could go fishing in, but that would also be respectful of the local culture and would handle all the elements that wouldn't get tangled up in her line. And since she was fishing, she really wanted something that could dry quickly. She just had a lot of different things that she wanted and she wanted to be able to use it also as a piece of clothing that she could go out after she was done fishing and be in the village, be in the be in the culture there. She really couldn't find anything that existed. So she created this with her friend Ann Carter and they created a hiking skirt that is incredible. So basically it uses clips and snaps to create different lengths and different features on the skirt. So you can wear it as a full length skirt. You can wear it as pants or kind of like culottes, I guess they're a little bit puffy. You can also create a shorter skirt or kind of shorts using the wading snaps and then you have another length right there. So the pockets are brilliant on this skirt. They're oversized and they're self-draining so they kind of have a mesh inside so that the grit and water, whatever, just comes right out. They have a zippered security pocket that you can use also as a stuff sack 
when you want to put your skirt away. They have a tiny pocket within one of the main pockets that you can keep smaller things in. If you look at the skirt, you'll see little things all over that are just little strokes of brilliance. Just all these thoughts that went into creating the perfect skirt. Extremely comfortable to wear. It has an elastic waistband, but it also has a drawstring and belt loops, so it's very versatile. The skirt itself is available in multiple lengths, colors, and sizes, and I think it's like an inspector gadget skirt. It just kind of has all those little hidden features that that you'll love that'll be so functional and practical on the trail. It dries in just two hours. I weighed a pair of hiking pants. Those came in at 13.8 ounces. The skirt comes in at just 10.5 ounces. So if you're a little bit of a gram weenie, then you're going to love that. Shave a couple ounces off and bring a hiking skirt. I'm five feet, six inches, and the bottom of the regular length skirt was about five inches above my ankle, which I felt was the perfect length. On our Redwoods trip, I wore pants for most of the trip and then wore the hiking skirt on the last day. And it was still pretty cool on that last morning when we hiked out, maybe in the upper 50s, mid 50s. I thought that I would have to wear a base layer underneath the skirt just because it was so chilly that morning. But the skirt was kind of like, it kind of kept all the warm air just right in that skirt area. And when it warmed up later that morning, I was able to turn it into a pair of pants and that made it a little bit breezier. And I was surprised at how warm the skirt kept me. For maintenance, no special maintenance required. Machine wash or hand wash, and then you can just dry in a dryer. The skirts run $77, which I think is a great deal for a piece of backpacking clothing. This skirt is convertible in every sense of the word. It changes easily from a skirt to pants to shorts, and it really goes from survival mode to dressy mode really fluidly. As I was doing the trial test for the Maccabee skirt, I was thinking about how women have the culturally acceptable option of wearing clothing on the trail that allows them to be a little more dressy or a little more formal. And not that that is a priority for every hike that you take, but if you're on the trail to have maybe a more spiritual journey, it might make sense to wear clothing that would show a little more reverence. And as I talked to the current owner of Maccabee Skirt, she said that's one of the reasons that women buy the Maccabee Skirt, especially if they're doing international travel, where they're going to be backpacking for part of the time and doing some cultural experiences in town. They really want something that is convertible, that can give them the opportunity to experience some of those religious opportunities and cultural opportunities in the town and show reverence there and then continue to have that spiritual journey on the trail. And when you were testing this skirt, uh, you not only tested it on trails, I I think you wore it for several days straight. I actually did. (laughs) Wore it to church one Sunday uh, and, and around town and, you know, really kind of put it through its paces in terms of how flexible can this skirt be? Can I go to church in it? Can I go around town in it. I went to a funeral luncheon in it. It was a very versatile skirt. It's not just a piece of utility gear that's durable and rugged. It's also just a very fluid, beautiful piece of clothing. Well-constructed, very comfortable, keeps you warm, keeps you cool, dries out quickly. I mean, I really cannot say enough wonderful things about this skirt. Feminine, functional, comfortable, durable, versatile. I mean, it's just everything that you would want in a piece of clothing. They do make a men's version. It's called the mug which stands for Men's Unbifurcated Garment. So, men, if you're feeling a little adventurous, uh, you can get your own version of 
of a hiking skirt as well. Or just borrow your wife's. Well, yeah, I mean, you borrow my clothes all the time. What? Well, let's move on to the backpack hack of the week. In the bathroom department, women do have a few challenges. It's potentially messy. It really is a skill that needs to be learned, and it does require some balance. So, if you would like to make your own STP device, we have a one dollar option for you. So, what you're going to need is a flexible cutting board from the dollar store, and you're going to want to cut it into an eight inch by eight inch square. I like to kind of round the edges, and then to use the device. You will roll it diagonally. So take the opposite corners and bring them in toward each other. So you have a tube, and that tube—that's what you'll use as your STP device on the trail. This backpack hack of the week has been trail tested, and the best way to clean it after you've used it is just with a squirt of rubbing alcohol or with water and soap, and then just shake it out. These flexible cutting boards that you find at the dollar store. They're probably like a eight by eleven inch size to start with. They so. came in a three pack actually, so I had enough. Oh, bonus! Um, enough cutting boards to make STP devices for all of my friends. Yeah, all three of them. That's great. <laughs> or all two of them plus yourself. All right. Yeah. So you're really just cutting three inches off of the long end, and then, like you said, rounding the corners, which may <laughs> you know infringe upon an Apple patent. I've heard, but. <laughs> We won't tell them. <laughs> well, if you want to infringe further on Apple's patents, you could take a permanent marker and write IP on the uh, <laughs> on the device. That was a good one. For today's backpackers Q and A, we have the question: What is the best way to keep my hair out of the way on the trail? Also, should I wash it or just let it go? If your hair is long enough. Then braids are the way to go. They keep hair out of your face, and then they lay flat against your head, so you don't have that lumpy bump of a bun or a ponytail underneath your wool hat that could kind of change the way that the wool hat actually fits over your ears. So braids are fantastic. Keeping your hair tied back in braids has several benefits. It keeps your hair out of your face, so you have better visibility. It keeps your hair out of the fire, and It's less likely to snag on branches and less likely to attract nesting birds. Have you ever had nesting birds grab your hair? I remember the day that you had a hummingbird that <gasps> ran into you. Oh, that was scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, watch out for hummingbirds. Well, after days of hiking, you may have flyaways, even if your hair is in braids, that end up tickling your nose and just getting in your face. That's just the nature of hair. But the best way to deal with flyaways is with one simple trick, and that is with a tube of lip balm. Just slide it along your hair, and your flyaways should stay in place. Also, if you are a hiker that uses Body Glide to prevent blisters, then that also works to keep the flyaways from getting in your face. Another thing that you can do to manage those flyaway hairs, or just manage your hair in general, is to wear a hat. Some people use a bandana, which is fine as long as you're not using it to keep warm. A wool hat or a wool buff is a much better option for keeping hair out of your face, and especially if you have really long hair, the wool buff is great because you can wear it and it will cover all of your hair. So once you get into camp at night, you will want to take your hair out of the braids if you've been sweating, and just let your hair dry out, especially before the night chill comes. That'll、uh, give your hair a chance to breathe, and the sweat will dissipate. 
Now on to washing it or just letting it go. Wet hair is so hard to dry on the trail, so I'm just reluctant to wash my hair on the trail. Also, washing hair would require me to dip my soapy, dirty hair into a body of water to get it clean, and that is a leave no trace taboo. I'm gonna opt for not washing on the trail. If you have exceptionally finicky, greasy hair, then you could use arrowroot powder, and that is used to absorb oils, kind of like a dry shampoo, but I've never actually tested it on the trail. I've just heard that people have done that. You just don't want to use cornstarch or cocoa powder as a dry shampoo because they could attract bugs or cause a stink problem. And there you go. That's the best way to keep hair out of the way and deal with hair on the trail. Well, I didn't have much to say today, but I feel like this episode has been really packed with information that women really care about when they go backpacking. Thanks for putting all that information together. I mean, it's just been great. Let's leave everyone with a little trail wisdom from Rosalia de Castro, who was a Spanish poet. She said, I see my path, but I don't know where it leads. Not knowing where I'm going is what inspires me to travel it. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Welcome. <laughs> Gone out on their first backup. Uh, well, we hope the answers to these questions help answer some of those <laughs> questions. <laughs> thumbs up. Uh, I don't want to say thumbs up. That's dumb. You just don't want to use cornstarch or...